through 15. Give you all a second to turn there. That's Romans 4, verses 9 through 15. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are able to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, the argument that Paul is building here is a continuation of the argument he has been working on throughout this entire book. So before we can rightly understand the purpose of this text, we have to look and follow the chain of his thought all the way up to this point. He starts off the book of Romans after his greeting and introduction with an explanation of how both Jews and Gentiles are in desperate need of salvation from God. We see that in Romans 2.12 where he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. If you see, this verse here is an all-inclusive verse. For those who are without the law, apart from the law, the Gentiles, they will perish without the law. And those who are under the law won't be saved by it, but will only have judgment. There is no one excluded for this. God has decreed a righteous standard, and neither Jews nor Gentiles have any hope of meeting that standard. And not me, and not you guys, and not anyone else in the world can meet that standard. Perishing and judgment are the sentence that God has proclaimed for all creation. From that understanding, Paul presents the only hope for escaping that death sentence. The only hope for the world and the only hope for everyone here, we see that, 
in Romans 3.21 where he says, but now. But now we see that as in contrast to the death sentence that he proclaimed earlier on. It's in contrast to this sentence that the righteous judge has proclaimed against the world. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness that keeps us from those crimes, the penalty for the crimes we have committed, and earns us a place in God's kingdom, that righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, apart from a standard that we could achieve, that we couldn't achieve, apart from striving in our day-to-day to be right with God, He has made manifest righteousness. Though it's apart from the law, the law and prophets bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. This is righteousness through faith. This is the salvation that God is that Paul is talking about through this letter. At the end of chapter 3, after presenting the means of salvation, he goes on to explain some consequences of that. He shows... He shows how faith in the gospel are not only one-time realizations in our life, but an ongoing reality that affects the way we live because of the way we have life. We aren't to be saved by faith apart from works, and then after that salvation, turn back and try and live as if works are the focus of our life, as if Salvation through faith only makes us able to achieve those works. We must live by faith, trusting in God and acknowledging Him in our actions, looking to Him for strength, because in our own strength we could not save ourselves. He finishes out chapter 3 with the start of his defense of salvation through faith. He starts to teach how this idea doesn't conflict with the Old Testament scriptures, but is rather the full realization of everything they were pointing to. Through this defense, he achieves multiple things. He presents an explanation to anyone in the Roman church who would be tempted to um, contradict his statements by looking at the Old Testament and turning to an old Jewish understanding of what it was saying. He also is trying to explain to this church that he hopes to one day be a sending point for his missionary journey, he hopes to explain to them what um, 
the, the fullness of what he believes so that they might with wisdom send him out. And also he is hoping to instruct that Roman church in how to interpret the Old Testament, how to look at it properly in light of the teachings of Christ so that they might gain wisdom and truth from it. So this defense starts at the end of chapter 3 where he shows how righteousness through faith is not in contradiction to the law but is in fact the only means to uphold the law. See, if the question that religion is concerned with is how do we get to heaven and the Jews taught that by doing good works we found our way into heaven and then Paul comes along Jesus comes along and teaches a gospel that says not through works but through faith that is the way we get to heaven then you have two conflicting answers to one question and so if that was the case the rule of faith salvation through faith would be contrary to the rule of law but Paul shows that in fact it's not contrary because the law of works was never meant to save us it was never meant to be an answer to the question of how we enter heaven instead it was meant to be an explanation and an indication of why the answer has to be by faith and so Paul demonstrates that by this law of faith we do not um, overthrow the law but instead uphold it. This defense that he starts in chapter 3 continues on into chapter 4 and through the verse that we're studying this morning. But before that verse The passage we're studying today is a part of the defense that Paul is making for the gospel. His defense starts with explaining how our faith does not contradict the law of works. And then he carries on to talk about Abraham. Sorry. Got a little tripped up in my notes. Um, So after explaining how salvation through faith does not contradict the law of works, he moves on to talk about the next likely objection to this law of faith to talk about Abraham because if the Jews thought anyone received good things from God because of their obedience it would be Abraham if there was anyone they looked to as an example of how God um, wants people to act they would look to Abraham and see Abraham as this example of one who was given great promises and great gifts 
who became the father of a nation because of his obedience. But Paul shows that even this pillar in their eyes. I was just thinking of, um, of how long the span was in between it was counted to him as righteousness and when he did eventually get circumcised probably over ten years, I'm thinking. And even beyond that, it was 430 years after Abraham that the law came. So, so much trust was put into this law that wasn't even present when Abraham was counted righteous, when the promises were made to him. Yeah, Justin, I think actually a better question was because you started your your introduction by saying, how does man get to heaven? I don't really think that that is actually the, 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 the sense of what Paul would be answering that question. The sense is, how can a man stand before God and live? That, that precedes getting to heaven by far. And the law is the very impediment to the individual Jew and the law of conscience to the Gentile yeah. that impedes him from being able to stand in the presence of God because he's a sinner. Yeah, that's definitely a a better way of explaining yes, that question. One says there is therefore not no condemnation. Some of the condemnation effect of the yeah. law upon the very conscience of man. Yeah, uh, there I was explaining how um, people might see a law of works mm-hmm. as contrary to um, a law of faith. <laughs> I wasn't speaking so much about the whole message of Romans, but rather how there he demonstrates that. Um, the law of faith isn't contrary to the law of works, but even so, that's a... Well, salvation is always on the Christian's mind yeah. in the first place, so it's never never far from us, hmm. even in the Apostles' writing, of course. Definitely. Um, so Paul is preparing to um, show how even this pillar example that the Jews would have of someone who was right before God because of his obedience he shows how not even that one, not even their highest example could stand before God in Romans uh, 4.2 it says, for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God verse 3 For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he goes on to explain, if it was counted to him, that it must not be by works. It must not be something that he earned. Um, And this was what was explained last week. Um, How can someone have something counted to them as a gift if they earned it? Abraham believed God. What did he believe God about? Maybe you could help us out understanding what is it that he believed that rendered righteousness to him. What specifically would that be referring to? He believed God. Um, Can you point what it was specifically? I'm, I'm not exactly sure because I didn't this is the passage leading up to mine, so I didn't study it too. Yeah, the week before, we I did. Galatians says that he believed the gospel. And then Jesus also says in the gospel of John that Abraham saw my day 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. This is um, a, a primitive discussion of the gospel of how um, we are blessed who are saved by faith in Christ. We are blessed who are freed from sin um, through Christ's sacrifice and given a righteousness um, through him. And so that's what Paul goes through to lead up to this, art, this uh, discussion he's having in what we're studying today. For um, he talks about the blessing and he expertly connects that into his next point. Um, so I'm going to reread this, these verses so uh, we can have them in our mind. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? <coughs> this is the blessing that was talked about in verses 7 and 8 before uh, the primitive um, example of the gospel that blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. So after showing how scripture can obvious, should obviously not be talking about a law of faith, a law of works as the means of salvation, because not even Abraham could be made right by, by works. The next objection that was likely to happen well, was that even if scripture was talking about righteousness by faith, surely that righteousness would be only for the Jews. Surely that would be a gift only for the descendants of Abraham. Surely only they would be the ones privileged um, to have righteousness through faith. And in contradiction to that objection Paul raises these verses his goal is to explain how it must not only be the Jews who have this promise of salvation through faith it must be something given to the whole world Paul explains how <coughs> if Abraham was made righteous before he was circumcised, that circumcision must not be um, a 
necessary thing to have righteousness through faith before God. It's similar to a couple that gets married and can't afford wedding bands. Their marriage is not false until they receive those wedding bands. And if they do receive them, that's not the point that their marriage becomes real. It was real before the wedding bands, and the wedding bands are only a sign of the reality that was already present. Um, we see that when in verse 11, when he talks about how Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. It was a sign, just like wedding bands are a sign of marriage. It was not a work of obedience that brings righteousness like the Jews so commonly believed. converted before his circumcision whereas in the future people are circumcised as infants before their conversion yeah. in Israel that's where there a lot of paedobaptism confusion comes in trying to match mm-hmm. the old and the new testaments together thinking that like every child born to a Christian parent is entitled to get a seal of or a mark of Christianity upon them like a Jew would get circumcised as a child to identify them with the covenant community so too in baptism I mean that's the crux of their argument whereas the force of the New Testament is believe in the Lord Jesus Mm. primarily and then baptism is a subsequent act of a believer to outwardly profess their faith in Christ to the world in a generalized way and believe it or not, even Christians, so many I witness to I, who I really think are saved, oftentimes refer back to their baptism mm. as the day when their sins were washed away. And that's so wrong. <coughs> I don't know where they're getting their teaching from, but I think there's still a an idea of a, a sort of a, a rite or something uh, sanctimonious, uh, sacerdotal in baptism that it somehow has a magical power within it that when you get yourself baptized, that's when the actual graces of God work in you in the most full way possible. So, in that case, it, it generally is a, an act, something that we do as an act mm-hmm. that we decide to do, when in fact it's not, not even, that's not true at all. It's God moving in our hearts to uh, bring us faith. And it's a sign. Uh, a sign's pointless if, when you follow the sign, there's nothing there. It, if you see, like, um, a Stafford Street sign and you go to turn and there's no road there, the sign is pointless. A sign's only value is in pointing towards a reality that already exists. And so, circumcision, as we'll see further on, is only valuable if the faith 
exists alongside with it and um, baptism is only valuable if it's a sign pointing towards a reality that's already there um, and in other places we see how the circumcision of the Old Testament was um, a type, a outward sign of the things that would be an inward indication later on. Um, and so, if circumcision, circumcision, we shouldn't model baptism after circumcision and um, follow that paedo-baptist way where we're baptizing infants like the Jews would circumcise babies. Um, because that was an outward expression um, whereas what we have now is an inward reality and so we shouldn't try and make um, baptism a sign of a outward reality of um, being born to Christian people but rather a sign of an inward reality whereas circumcision was a, a sign of the outward reality of belonging to Israel and so we shouldn't baptize infants because of that even though there are some parallels Gary makes a good point because they, the uh, Jews today still would use circumcision as an identifying sign and marker of their incorporation into God's covenant community through the law rather than its direct association to the promise and that's huge because again it creates a dependence on the law for salvation and what you do compared to the, the promise by received by faith and the righteousness that comes with that so it, it, you can see the whole historical uh, legalism that has transpired out of that through uh, Judaism ever since then still and yet technically uh, circumcision was incorporated into the law not because God commanded it to be so yeah definitely So, just like how we can understand that people can, be, um, who don't have wedding bands can still be married before they receive them, and that thereby wedding bands must not be a necessary part of being married, we can see that if Abraham received righteousness through faith before he was circumcised we can know that circumcision is not a necessary part of receiving righteousness through faith and that's the the, Paul, the point that Paul's making here you know Justin 37 years ago this November I told Joyce and through that same kind of reasoning why she didn't need a diamond ring <laughs> <laughs> and she took the legalistic 
direction. He said, you will, by law, give me a ring. That's when he opened the apple orchard. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's part of the reason why baptism is important. Because just because the inward reality is still true, regardless of whether or not there's that outward sign, it's still important to seek that outward sign to point towards the inward reality. Because that's how we proclaim truth. <laughs> under under threat. <laughs> under threat. <laughs> threat. <laughs> but you know, the law the law doesn't state what type of ring you have to get. <laughs> so you know Zarconium, I tried that one, it didn't work. Well well, you know how we are. When we're given a law we like to see what we can get away with without breaking it, you know? And that's why the law doesn't work. Because we we love to to take a mile when it, whenever we're given an inch, you know, and it's not obedience from the heart. It, it's fun to use marriage as an illustration of rings because, in reality, when people are married, nothing is magic. It's an authority who tells us it's legitimate, like our salvation. You know, mm-hmm. no magic happens or anything. And talking about Abraham, when did he believe? And I, I agree with this, him believing gospel, but I think it goes right back to the very beginning when God tells him to get up and leave his land, and he says, and I'll, and I'll uh, make for you, you know, bless those who bless you. And it says Abraham got he got up and obeyed the Lord. He believed God, just credited him with righteousness. You know, just yeah. believing God's words, which you know grow. And but but time of baptism, Gary was asking, Acts two thirty eight is a basis of the Church of Christ and these Peter says, Rise we baptize for the forgiveness of sins. So they connect baptism mm-hmm. with the actual forgiveness of sins and another passage says washing away your sins. But I, I think where they're wrong there is that like you said, baptism was like so immediately in the early church, right after any belief or testimony, you know, the, the chariot and Ethiopia and all these that he's only connecting and saying, This is what you has happened. So your baptism is saying you believed that your sins were forgiven, not the yeah. baptism forgiving your sins. Mm. And, and you could say in a, a certain way, you know, like put these rings on each other, like connecting you too. Um, but everyone there would know, obviously, that it, it's not the rings that form the marriage connection. But you could speak in a metaphorical way there because it is a sign of that thing. Um, so I, I think it's very easy for um, people, uh, you know, like in Acts to talk about, you know, the, the washing away of sins or, or be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because they're, it, it's a strong image of that reality. Um, you know, of that dying with Christ and being raised to life with him, having that water wash away your sins, being born again. Um, it's a very strong image, and so you can easily speak metaphorically about it as being that thing. You know, if, if I say it's raining cats and dogs, I'm using a metaphor. And if anyone tries to take that literally, we'd think they're, they're crazy. 
Um, and so it's very easy to use a metaphor with something like baptism um, to say, you know, be baptized for the re- forgiveness of sins or like bapti- baptism um, washes away your sins. It's a metaphor in that way. Um, and I think it would be abundantly clear to the people when that was first written that that was the understanding of it. Um, one of the the things that's amazingly demonstrated in this passage um, is in verse 11 when Paul talks about the purpose that um, the purpose of Abraham receiving faith while he was still uncircumcised Um, we get a glimpse into why God chose to plan and conduct himself in this way why he chose to give Abraham righteousness before he was circumcised Um, and whenever we get such a a direct indication of God's purpose with doing something we have a, um, a picture into the character of God So it says here in verse 11, the purpose was to make him father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the right so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So the beautiful thing demonstrated here is that God was purposing in Abraham all the way back then consideration for those who weren't physical descendants of Abraham, that God's love for the world and his creation was so great that he wasn't content limiting his blessing the forgiveness of sins to the Jews that he purposed giving Abraham righteousness before circumcision because he loved us so much that he didn't want to keep us from those promises from that blessing and you see a little taste of that in Romans 3.29 as well when uh, Paul questions or is God the God of the Jews only is he not also the God of the Gentiles yes of the Gentiles also it should be obvious is the point that Paul's making that God doesn't only care about this one select people that all of creation are his and so he um, would not sit there and um, choose to only save uh, to only care about the Jews the Jews mistook the favor the specific favor he placed on them and failed to see that God must also love the rest of his creation as well and desire to see them glorify him and that's part of the way Paul is defending um, salvation through faith is by pointing out here that God specifically purposed um, righteousness through faith to be a gift for the whole world Uh 
so with this understanding of of Abraham we can see that Abraham is a um, a demonstration of how faith works of how righteousness through faith works he was the prototype for all believers both Jews and Gentiles because um, and this is shown in scripture he is the father of all who believe um, and so just like in that the understanding of that time a father um, is a demonstration to their kids and shows their kids um, how to act in a certain way how to um, they show them their career and their work um, so that they can have a successful life um, Abraham is our father in a demonstration of how to um, how to live and how to be and if we continue on into verse 12 we see how Abraham's fatherhood relates to um, those who have the circumcised the circumcision um, because we saw how in, in verse 11 how God purposed Abraham to be the father of those who aren't circumcised of all who believe without being circumcised in verse 12 he shows how he's the father of those who are circumcised and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised the point he's making here is that circumcision is pointless if you don't follow the same thing that Abraham did before he was circumcised by Abraham having righteousness counted to him before circumcision he was um, that creates a pattern that righteousness is not the gift for those who are circumcised but those who have faith um, that righteousness when it comes to those who are circumcised is not the gift for simply all who are circumcised but those who like Abraham um, walk in faith before God and this is also the point that, that Jesus makes to other places um, very clearly in scripture in Matthew 3 9 Jesus calls um Jesus is um, preparing against the defense that the Jews would have for themselves. And he says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones, is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In the same vein as what we're studying today, Jesus makes the point that being Abraham's child 
is not about physical dissension like being a physical descendant of him but it's rather about having faith that is a gift from God um, notice here that um, the what how God um, is the one who raises up children for Abraham um, he doesn't say like these stones are able to become children of Abraham but that God is able to raise up children of Abraham and that demonstrates how becoming a child of Abraham is a gift from God it is a work that God does not a um, not something that we do you know the true answer to the understanding of circumcision like so many other things in the Old Testament that are prefigures of the future they're shadows of the good things that are to come that have come we read about what real circumcision is typified and fulfilled now in the New Testament it tells us in Colossians 2 verse uh, uh, 10 and 11 it says he, as Jesus, is the head over every power and authority. And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Mm-hmm. Your sinful nature or your flesh was put off when we were circumcised by Christ. Mm-hmm. How, how many of us think of have we been circumcised by Christ mm-hmm. without human hands, but by the Spirit, Christ, performing that upon us. What's well, the circumcision of the heart? That's what the Old Testament wasn't pointing to anything else other than circumcision of the heart. Just this mm-hmm. circumcision was the means by which you were identified in, in the Old Covenant, in the New Covenant. The circumcised heart is the only true identifier that you're a part of that covenant. And Israel, yeah. even in the Old Testament, is told to circumcise their hearts, mm-hmm. meaning that mm-hmm. the physical circumcision was inconsequential to this spiritual status and, and Paul makes the point that if Abraham received righteousness before faith uh, before circumcision um, that circumcision must not be enough to receive righteousness that the, Paul makes the point that um, to have Abraham as your father um, which is here an indication that you um, have a right standing before God you must not only have you know if you're a Jew circumcision but the thing that for Abraham predated circumcision where righteousness was truly attributed um like today in many ways um, a lot of dispensationalists think that New Covenant people spiritualize the New Testament and spirit, well I should say spiritualize the Old Testament uh, in order to fulfill the New which literally we see the spiritual fulfillment in that in the New um, but the Jews couldn't they just couldn't get out of their minds the temple sacrifice and the covenants God made through it when Jesus comes on the scene he says my kingdom is not of this world if it were my people would be fighting it but as it is if my kingdom is not of this realm yeah. and that's a concept they just never accepted and 
at the end of the day these things are spiritually discerned all of us would fall folly to the the same misunderstandings and the same misapplications if it wasn't for the work of Christ in our heart um, because we we love to look to rules because they make us feel like we have something of value in us whereas um, justification tells us justification by faith tells us that we are hopeless in ourselves and as prideful people that's a hard truth for us to hear you know that that you have no possibility of being right before God and that the only purpose that giving a standard of righteousness could serve is to condemn you that is how wicked you are that the only purpose laws could ever have for you is to show how wicked you are normally if someone's given a standard it's in the hope that in meeting that standard um, they can demonstrate some sort of skill or worthwhileness if you test someone you are putting a standard out in front of them where if they meet it the purpose of giving that standard is to show the skill that they have whereas we are so fallen so lacking in righteousness that if the standard of the law is given to us the only thing it serves to do is condemn us Also, in uh, John 8.39, the same point is made about um, true sonship to Abraham. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God this is not what Abraham did Um, and he goes on to to talk about how they are uh, of their father the devil Um, true sonship to Abraham is a gift of God um, and what true sonship to Abraham means is walking in faith um, and receiving righteousness because of that So if we turn our attention to the last few verses, um, verses 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression Paul is is doubling down here to further show how the idea of um, a right standing before God through works of the law is ridiculous because if the adherents of the law um, are who to be heirs 
faith is null and the promise is void. P- Paul's saying here that if if God had planned for the law to be the way that we get right before him, faith would be pointless. That there's no need to put your trust in God if you have everything in yourself to be right before him. That, that your trust can be in yourself if it's by works of the law that you're made righteous. And obviously, God would not set up a standard that flies in the face of all the work he did to try and push the Jews towards trusting in him. So it, it's ludicrous to believe that the adherents of the law are the ones who are heirs to the promise because that would nullify faith. Furthermore, it's even more ridiculous because the promise would be void. That if the people who followed the law are the ones who would receive the promise, if the people who adhered to the law are the ones who would be sons of of Abraham, the promise would be void. It would be pointless because none of us can be right before God through the law. If the promises are realized by our obedience to God, the promises would be pointless. God would have given all of these promises only for them to be completely covered over by our sins. If God made those promises contingent on our ability to be righteous those promises would never come to pass and so what would be the point of God giving those promises if they would never come to pass and so that's why why Paul says the promise is void if the adherents of the law are to be heirs because no one is righteous before God through the law in verse 15 for the law brings wrath but verse 15 is also a beautiful picture of the gospel for the law brings wrath trying to be righteous before God through works brings wrath to us but where there is no law where we are freed from the law or apart from the law there is no transgression where we do not um, fall under the law we are finally freed from sin just a few comments of application before we close um, Paul very thoroughly shows here why it's foolish to trust in our works mm-hmm. why scripture obviously is not um, presenting that idea that we are made right with God by achieving some sort of standard that scripture must not be talking about this because it's ridiculous and it would never work because we're so sinful and if we're so sinful 
that we can look at scripture and see that the law of works um, cannot provide salvation and that it would be foolish to do so we see that we're so sinful that we should not ever look to trust in our works for salvation or for righteousness before God for any of us here who don't trust in God who aren't believers stop trusting in yourself to be righteous stop trusting in yourself to stand before the throne of God because it's foolishness it's ridiculous and you're hopeless if you do that and for us believers we shouldn't live as if we have this wealth of strength within ourselves that achieves great things before God we should not live as if we had value that made God look on us well because we were so valueless in, our, in ourselves that it's absolute foolishness to trust in our works so we should not see value in ourselves so much that we we have this self-righteousness that was so common for the Jews where we look down on other people we should not fight sin from our excitement to reach a certain standard of holiness because if we tried to live like that before faith we would have been hopeless we should fight sin understanding that God loved us so much that he became sin for us and bore the penalty for that we should live by faith praying and putting our trust in him obeying his ways like Abraham did through faith and we should seek him and work out our life through his strength and through the Holy Spirit Brother Barry would you close us in prayer Father we thank you that you were the one that took it upon yourself to come to Abraham that you had chosen our Lord before the earth was formed and you chose him as your son as the beginning Lord of your dealings as before the law Lord that you took him out of his land and, and promised him so many good things and those promises arise Lord and we have been beneficiaries of the promises that you gave to Abraham because we are his children through faith in your son Jesus Christ and we just, we just can't re- remember to thank you enough Lord for your words that you're true that it's impossible for you to lie and that you would not say something that you would not fulfill help us to just continue to trust you to not look at our weaknesses our our flesh to doubt our salvation to doubt our your love for us to doubt you and your ability to keep us and keep us secure and, and pro- fulfill the promise of bringing us into the kingdom of your dear son and Lord as we go to service thank you for the music we hear even now and for the for the giving for the reading of scriptures for the preaching of your word thank you for Justin and Sunday School lesson that he prepared for blessing us and helping us to think about so many of these truths and just keep them in our mind at the forefront of our thoughts and we thank you for it all through Christ's name we pray Amen.
Amen.